you can't train a cat. Cat's no. just gonna bite your hand. I mean, you can kind of. I I showed him what a mirror is, and that's kind of funny. The cat knows itself now, or no? Absolutely not. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> he gets in fights with a mirror. All the time. Oh, well, that's that's a, that's a ton of fun. Yeah. I would do the same thing uh, to my snake. Does the snake not know? Snake I doesn't can't... get mirror. Mirror. Snake is very stupid. So did did the snake have any reaction to it? Itself? Yeah, a snake or... would look at the other snake. Did it do anything? Um, Just looked at it. It didn't usually attack the other snake, although it did a couple times. Oh, okay. That's interesting. I've never seen a snake attack anything. It's pretty scary. It bears its fangs and strikes. Your snake had fangs? Yeah, it was a snake. Do all snakes have fangs? Yeah. They're not like teeth. They're like... They're hard to describe. They're almost like tendons. Snake fangs. I should have Googled, do all snakes have fangs? Mm-hmm. Do all... Yep, there it is. Although most snakes have teeth, not all snakes have fangs. Only the poisonous ones do. Is your snake poisonous? No. I mean, I guess I guess she had teeth and not fangs. What kind of snake did you have? A corn snake. Corn snake teeth. Is this not the first time that we've talked about teeth on this program? Oh, weird. These are weird teeth. Yeah, you see they don't really look like teeth. Yeah. They're pink. The thing, so the reason that most snakes need teeth is because that's how they kill their prey. Uh, But of course, corn snakes, as you know, I assume, don't kill their prey in that manner. They constrict them? Yes. Uh, now I'm a little spooked by all these close-up pictures of snake teeth. Snake teeth. It's a little bit spooky. Grip the prey to give it the snake time to wrap its coils around its dinner. Oh, and they also use their teeth uh, in order to help swallow. Oh, yeah, that's why they're pointed that direction, I bet. That's very interesting. Yeah, snakes are uh, pretty fascinating. (sighs) I know this goes without saying, but they move without legs in this... Like, fascinating way, they move like a ribbon across the ground. Yeah, they're a giant muscle. Yeah, but even your muscles don't really do that. Uh, I mean, they they expand and contract across their body in a wriggling fashion, and it can propel them really fast. Snakes can move faster than you can without legs. I don't want you to do this right now, because like I say, I, I really would like to get the show on the road, but... In the next couple of days, I'd like you to see how far you can move in the same manner that a snake would. I mean, eventually I could move as far as I wanted. Should I wriggling? Yeah. How fast do you think you could do it? Certainly not as fast as a snake. I think that I could wriggle across the ground at approximately two and a half miles an hour. Do you think that snakes, I'm thinking now, because I think you make an interesting point, which is that snakes can, like, dart, I think? Yeah, they can go pretty fast. Do you think that they uh, are, like, I uh, now I'm almost certain that we've talked about this, because <laughs> I'm imagining, do you know those little toys, like the impulse buys that you can buy at, like, science museums, and they're just A little pieces. wooden snake? No, 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 they're plastic tubes, and they have, like, gelatin in them, and you can't quite hold them. Because they, like, fold in on themselves. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Do you think that that's how snakes work? Because those things can move pretty fast. Huh. You can, like, drop them and they'll fall right out of your Yeah, head. like, if you just squeeze it a little bit too tight, it goes... Yeah. I can't imagine that's how snakes work. Probably not. No, I mean, it works like a regular muscle. Well, like, what do you... What muscle, though? Like, it's like your hand. If you put it... If you put it here... If you put it on a flat surface and scrunch and then release, it just does that in a systematic fashion across its entire body. You can yeah, kind of walk your hand across its surface that way. I can't do that quickly. It's no, it has very, much better muscles than you do. It's not very efficient anyways. Yeah, I mean, it, I don't know if snake is wildly efficient or wildly inefficient, but for sure it doesn't have legs. That's the one thing that you are sure about. No legs. 
I'm not even... No, I mean, because some of them have little legs. What? Some snakes have little legs accidentally. Like vestigial legs. You're talking about, like, lizards now? Geckos? Well, because <laughs> snakes evolved from another reptile what got legs on it. And so on the inside of their skeleton, snakes got little vestigial legs. And sometimes they poke out of their body so they got tiny little useless legs. Huh. That makes me sad. Yeah. Snakes, I don't know. Yeah. No, go ahead. Well, they also often have two heads. Like Excuse a lot more me? than other creatures. Maybe we should give up uh, talking about baseball and just learn as much as we can about snakes. This is our Snakes and Jazz podcast. And make that the PA. <laughs> Baseball was more of a placeholder until we found, <laughs> until out we found our calling to talk about snakes and jazz. Welcome back to Tater Tots. We are back at long last. We've made it through the desert, uh, uh, and now it's june and still hot it's still a desert i mean it's not a desert because it's like moist humid yeah yeah uh i'm tim i'm duncan and of course the minnesota twins are running away with the best record in major league baseball uh, oh no that's not true they're, they're oh, not running away with it they do have the best record but only by a half game over the uh, astros and the dodgers that's right uh uh but it's certainly um <clears throat> they are tied uh, with the astros in the last column and one game at, uh, up on the Dodgers. They've certainly played in 71 baseball games, and they've certainly won 47 of them. Uh, That's indisputable. Yeah, there's no... Even there's I can't no, dispute that. I, I was just... Oh, I actually lost... I was going to say there's no disputing. There's no, no, no uh, small sample size to blame anything on. Uh, they have lost their last two games, so maybe we keep an eye on that. Maybe something develops there, and they have a tremendous collapse, and the Indians win the, the pennant again. I mean, I'll say that I believe that they have the best run differential in Major League Baseball. Is that right? I think so. I'm on the Fangraphs playoff odds. I bet that's where I'll find them. Meow. 114. Yeah, just like 13 runs better than the Astros. It's pretty good. And only four runs better than the Dodgers, though. How are the Dodgers good all the time? Um, It's a great question. I think it's a combination of uh, a lot of resources and a savvy front office ridiculous and probably a heaping helping of luck somewhere along the way uh uh hey we are uh back for another week of uh, inexplicably talking about jazz um uh i wanted to take a step back from the um listener suggestions uh because we i feel that we had sort of gotten into kind of a an era uh i think we were going to get away from it pretty soon but i wanted to have kind of an intermediary episode because nobody had recommended any dates in the 60s. Um, and when I did some Googling, uh, because personally I was curious uh, about uh, the decline and fall of jazz as a popular American art form. Um, and that just so happened uh, to ha- uh, have happened in the 1960s. Um, so this episode is about the year 1965. Uh <clears throat> which, according to uh, certain dubious sources, uh, marks the decline of jazz in this great nation. Uh, I mean, not dubious sources. That, that I thought that I found a funny article from the Harvard Crimson um, uh, written in 1965 by a student who would go on to be the attorney general of Arizona. <laughs> uh, but I did also find some articles from like CNN and Time magazine that we're talking about how like rock and roll really kind of took over in, in the middle to late sixties, which makes sense. You know, Woodstock's coming up. It's a, it, it, it's, it's a real wonder that you found this, this Harvard article article. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I can't remember what my Google search terms were. Uh-huh. Uh, but at any rate, the headline of the article is the decline of jazz by Thomas C. Horn. Uh, lately, he goes by Tom Horn, uh, if you want to do some Googling. And as I mentioned, he is the uh, former attorney general of the state of Arizona, I believe. Is that yes, correct? Yes, he was also the Arizona superintendent of public instruction before that. Hmm. Uh, I'm going to read you some highlights uh, from the article, The Decline of Jazz, written by Thomas C. Horn, May 19th, 19. 
65. Definitely uh, check this out. Check the show notes for this one because it is worth reading in its entirety. If there is any sure sign of the decline of American civilization, it is its musical taste. While radio stations and nightclubs overflow with hillbillies and rock and roll singers, jazz musicians, who are making America's first significant contribution to serious music, are often without jobs. In virtually every city, a general decline has been evident. Uh, And then he goes on to list some uh, 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 horror stories about the state of jazz in uh, America's great cities, New York, San Francisco, uh, and Boston. Um, Hmm. My, for me, the highlight comes uh, in this parenthetical in the paragraph about Boston. Well, my, the first highlight for me, uh, the parenthetical reads, jazz musicians are notoriously intolerant of audiences they dislike. <laughs> <laughs> I I, I kind of missed that, but that is, that's a wonderful little, uh, little redundancy there. Charles Mingus has been known at college concerts to do push-ups on the keyboard and play When Irish Eyes Are Smiling straight. I don't really know what that means. I think it means that Charles Mingus would just play When Irish Eyes Are Smiling without any of the sort of jazz flourishes Mm -hmm. that people came to see him perform right? uh, as a way of sort of being antagonistic of the audience. And what's the, uh, yeah, and the, and the push-ups just mean that he would do kind of like wall push-ups against the piano while playing? I guess. It's fairly push-ups impressive, I think. Keyboard. Yeah, I mean, he's obviously a very talented pianist. We all know this about Charles Mingus. Yes, but he thinks that the these college students have no respect for the art of jazz. So, and I they're wonder, just in it for the circus of it. I have a couple of questions. My first is, is jazz a circus? Do people think of jazz as a circus? Would people have thought of jazz as a circus? Would people have thought of jazz as a circus? Hmm. I don't know. Why Do you think that there's any reason they would? No. No. It seems like if you're going to see Charles Mingus' performance because you enjoy the music of Car- Charles Mingus. Maybe Charles Mingus, by 1965, had become such a big name in the world of music that colleges would bring him on campus just as a big kind of, you know, the equivalent of a pop artist, but the students at the university had no appreciation for his work anymore. Hmm. I guess that's possible. What the other thing that I'm wondering is uh about um this admittedly lone evidence of a jazz musician antagonizing his audience. Yes. Uh and that being seen as like a drawback versus uh, 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 of course, uh, our musicians of all genres will antagonize their audience all the time now, and people seem to like that. Uh, probably because punk rock hadn't been invented yet at the time. People were still scandalized when when musicians were mean to them. Yeah, nowadays everyone loves it. They say, "Please be even meaner to me if you can." That's right. Um, one time, this is the reverse instance. There's a story that Nardwar, the human serviette, mm-hmm. tells. Um, about how he was playing a, a rock and roll music concert, uh, and he invited the entire audience to spit on him from the crowd onto the stage, um, and he was like, "I got sick," <laughs> which, <laughs> you know, I don't know why I assumed that any other outcome was likely. Uh, probably when a couple dozen to hundred people spit on you, you're gonna catch something. That's a lot of spit. It's a lot of spit. That's probably um, more people than have ever spit onto me, and it's all at once. Yeah, it can't be a good uh, thing for your immune system. The article wraps up. Oh man, I hadn't read. I read like I have skimmed this last sentence, and I, I think it's kind of funny that uh-huh. it ends by just saying "Let's go." Yeah, um, I love that. <laughs> that's a little, but the 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 thing that. Tom Horn, District uh, Attorney General of the State of Arizona, is uh, encouraging people to do is to become more aggressive. Yeah, become more aggressive about your love of jazz or your jazz yeah. love. Does that sound like, I mean, does that sound like anything that a jazz fan, anything approaching something that a jazz fan might do? It sounds like something that a jazz fan in the vein of Tom Horn might do. True. Just write to the, speak to the manager. Yeah, I think he's a very speak to the manager kind of guy. And I think that this, his article on the decline of jazz kind of speaks to the decline of jazz 
in it in it in itself as it as it speaks of the transition from being music liked by cool people to music right. liked by people like Tom Horn. Big dorks. Huge annoying dorks who hate uh educate like cultural education. Mexican people? They he hates when people learn about Mexican people specifically. Yeah. Yeah. Here's my favorite thing about this article. It's the compound okay. words. Of course. And I, I don't know if it's just him or if it's the era, but uh, he he uses the word jazz lover several times in this article as just, just one, one word. Yeah. One one strange little compound word, uh, which I've thought about a lot of times since reading this article. It's just kind of in. It's stuck in my brain. I love it. He also says folk singer. Um, and he and he puts push up as one word, which I I think is usually hyphenated. Yes, yeah, I think you're right. Here's what uh, Wikipedia says about Charles Mingus. Okay. Um. Uh, his refusal to compromise his musical integrity meant to, led to many onstage eruptions, exhortations to musicians, and dismissals. Although respected for his musical talent, Mingus was sometimes feared for his occasionally violent onstage temper, which was at times directed at members of his band and other times at the audience. Good for him. Probably not. You shouldn't be violent. No, I think that you shouldn't. You shouldn't be mad at all. Uh, the jury's out on that one for me. Uh huh. You think you should sometimes be mad? Yeah, I think if I think I think you should allow yourself to feel mad if mad is what comes natural to feel. Yeah, um, you remember in the movie Whiplash that J.K. Simmons' character thought it was very important to be mad so that you can become like Charlie Parker. Was that? Yeah, remember that, like, his his raison d'etre was that Charles Charlie Parker's band leader hurled a symbol at his head because he didn't feel he was good enough, and then he became Charlie Parker because of that fear. For some reason, I remember that being like a thing that, what's his face, the other guy who I don't like, that actor. I remember that being his Miles sort of Teller. Thing. Yeah. No, he wanted to be like, uh, the musician that all young drummers enjoy these days, Buddy Rich. Uh huh. He he but, he wanted to drum like that, like his contemporary Buddy Rich. Nah, he did not want to be yelled at particularly. Yeah, and then there was that big review that came out by a jazz musician who was like, this isn't realistic, because people aren't mean in jazz, I guess. I think people are mean in jazz. I think they are, too. It seems like Charles Mingus and Charlie Parker were maybe a little bit mean. Yeah. But that was like a... I remember that being like the the talk of the internet for a couple of days. Of course, that's not really any great accomplishment now. Everything's the talk of the internet all the time. Yeah, one time a dress was the talk of the internet. God. Uh, Can we move on? Yeah. Um. Hey, we're talking about 1965. 1965. Uh, uh, Nat King Cole, one of my grandfather's favorite singers, passed away that year. Uh, so did Spike Jones. This is the third person that I can think of named Spike Jones. This is the jazz musician. Yeah, there's one Spike Jones who was a. Is he a director? Spike Lee. No, no, no. Not Spike Lee, Spike Jones-Z. With a Z. Yeah, it's not his given name, though. His name is Adam Spiegel, but he goes by Spike Jones. Yeah. Did he steal it from the jazz musician? It seems likely. How do you find that out? I can't recall the other Spike Jones, but I'm pretty sure that there are two that are already... That I'm already aware of. I don't know. Uh, uh, and John Coltrane and Alice Coltrane had their baby Ravi Coltrane, who uh, remains a living jazz musician to this day, in my opinion. Good. Uh, in your opinion. Yeah. Uh. Uh. Of course. Uh. Herbie Hancock's album "Maiden Voyage" came out. I I forgot to listen to it today. I didn't mean to listen to it today. That's okay. It's pretty uh, good. I I read that it's a it's a concept album. It's kind of a concept album, but Herbie Hancock, the man, was only twenty four. Everybody liked the, it. It's about the sea. Yeah, it's a it's an album. It kind of sounds like jazz. Sea jazz. Sea jazz. The most important album to come out in nineteen sixty five was uh, 
Vince Guaraldi's A Charlie Brown Christmas. I think we can all agree on this. We can all agree that the most important album that came out that year, I'm laughing because Charlie Brown is like a children's thing. I think the album is very good. Uh, Yeah, I I think that album has had a lot of cultural impact and everyone likes it. Definitely. Uh, Although apparently Vince Guaraldi was not very nice to his sessions musician. No, he refused to list them on the liner notes. He was like, I played every instrument. No, 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 no. It was credited to the Vince Guaraldi trio. No, it was only retroactively credited to the Vince Guaraldi trio. After oh, really? a lo- After a lot of uh, foo for all. I'm exclusively, like, I'm aware of Vince Guaraldi, but I'm aware of him as the leader of the Vince, Vince Guaraldi trio. trio. Yes. I didn't, it, I didn't know that. When the album <laughs> came out, it was credited solely to Vince Guaraldi because he did not want to give anyone else credit. And nor were the the rest of the trio ever credited on any of the albums, um, because he did he didn't want that. And he said, "I wrote this music, therefore it's mine." Maybe all jazz music. Maybe we should get off jazz. Maybe these people are jerks. Yeah, that's a good good point. There do seem to be a healthy number of jerks in jazz. Let's find the nicest jazz that's, musician we I can was, for next week. You took the words right out of my mouth. Good. I'm going to Google nicest jazz person. Herbie Hancock seems nice. We've talked about him. And how nice he is? Isn't he nice? I have no idea. Now, the thing that comes up, the first thing that comes up when you Google nicest jazz musician is Miles Davis, but I don't think that's true. I think he was not nice either. I don't think that's exactly right. This is going to take some Googling. Because Google, Google thinks I mean best. Yeah. Which, I mean, I'm invested in nice jazz musicians at this point. We've we've talked a lot about mean jazz musicians. <laughs> hey, in baseball news, uh, we took about two weeks off, but about two weeks ago there was a draft. Not two weeks, it was, it was about a week ago. I don't know why I said... Was it a week ago? It was like a week and no, a half was... ago, right? Or two weeks Something. ago, yeah, it was, it was Tuesday last last but about two weeks ago we had a, a baseball draft and of course that means we all get to laugh at silly names um now in the past we've talked maybe on or maybe off the air um <clears throat> about whether or not we wanted to go in very hard on funny baseball player names yeah uh and at the time i said i don't feel comfortable making fun of people's names but then you saw that one of the players was named aj Bumpass. <laughs> well a few things. The first is that, like, inexplicably, there's there has developed a tradition of making fun of baseball players' names that connects back to that Albert and Costello thing, and I don't know how many people actually make that connection. You think that's the reason we make fun of baseball players' names and not football players' names? I don't think that's the reason, because, like, we do. Like, there's that Key and Peele sketch that makes fun of football players' that's names. That's a great point, yeah. Um... But I think it is it is difficult for me not to recognize something of Abbott and Costello's bit. Not the you know not obviously not the game of that bit because the game of that bit is its own unique thing. Um, but the impetus, which was that baseball players these days have silly names, uh, had it, it's at least alive and well in 2019. Yeah, I can't say for certain whether it's ever gone away. There used to be a lot more nicknames. You know, that's yeah. that's the premise of the Abbott Costello bit is that baseball players give each other funny nicknames, which right. I think now people that... people decry that a lot. They say baseball players never never give each other funny nicknames anymore, which I don't think is entirely true, actually. Um, well, it's mostly regular nicknames, like sort of. There's this becomes kind of a standard. There's certainly a form how... for nicknames, and if you're curious yeah. of that, you can always refer to Sam Miller's uh, thorough study on the topic. I love that. Um, but That's I also think that there are some fun nicknames. Like what? Like Kung Fu Panda, I think, is is, is terrific. Yeah, actually. Um, was... Oh, Johnny Lasagna is my favorite. Um, I love that. Why am I forgetting? Oh, Miles Michaelis goes by the Lizard King. The Lizard King, terrific. Of course, that's a nickname. Yeah. Uh, in some ways, it's better than the uh, the old nicknames. Is the Lizard King? The Lizard King sounds to me like an old-timey nickname. Does it? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Does it not to you? 
No, it sounds like uh, something else entirely. I don't know what. Like they can't like some kind of king of li- among lizards. He's the lizard king. Well, anyways, there was a draft and there are some funny names. Are you ready? Yeah, I want to hear them. Uh, and this is this is the top twenty according to uh, CBS Sports. CBS Sports is Dane Perry. Didn't get a chance to make our own list, but that's all right. We'll get him next year. Number twenty uh, went ninetieth overall to the Minnesota Twins. Uh, name of Spencer Steer. That's not particularly funny. Spencer Steer. Does that do anything for you? Nope. Okay. Uh, number nineteen. Uh, number 1,164th overall to the Reds, of course, is A.J. Bumpass. <laughs> I think that's the best one on here. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know what else is on here yet. I haven't looked at this list in a while. I don't recall. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I think that there's well, these names are going to be hard-pressed to beat A.J. Bumpass. I, I, and I think that they don't. I think it peaks very early. I also suspect that it might be pronounced Bumpus. Hey, listen, buddy. And maybe he would resent people calling him A.J. Bumpass. I imagine a lot of people have called him A.J. Bumpass in his life. Do you think he's used to it, I, or do you think he says, please stop that? I don't know. I don't know which. All right, moving on number 18, number 472 overall to the Detroit Tigers is uh, Kona Quiggle. That one's funny. I like Quiggle. I like Kona Quiggle. That's a nice. That's a nice sounding name. Kona Quiggle. I think that's just a good name. I don't have... I mean, Quiggle on its own is funny, but Kona Quiggle is... It's, I think Kona, Kona, you're right. Kona uh, makes it a better name than if you were named, like, you know, uh, uh, Rudolph Quiggle. Nice to meet you. I'm Rudolph Quiggle. Actually, I don't know. Quiggle's a funny name. It's got a lot going for it. Yeah, that's, that's terrific. I do think we're going to have to get through this faster. <laughs> sure. Number 17, number 477 overall, the Blue Jays. Uh, oh, boy. Uh, Jack Zarrell LeBron? That's an interesting one. Yeah, I looked it up, and I think that LeBron is not his last name. I, I don't remember what it is, but I remember seeing what his full name was and thinking this is misleading by CBS Sports. His his Instagram name lists him as Jack Zarrell LeBron Figueroa. So maybe that's a... His last name is really Figueroa. Well, it could be like a thing about how Roberto Clemente's last name was Walker. His full name is Roberto Clemente Walker because that's his mother. So Figueroa could be his his mother's maiden name, depending on where he's from. I don't don't actually know. It doesn't say on his... He's probably from America. Jack Sarrell. He was was drafted, so he's either from America or possibly Puerto Rico. If it's Puerto Rico, then um, that, that that might make sense for the maiden name thing. Well, I don't know how to find this. Well, I'm going to yeah, his perfect from, game. He's, US he's from Puerto Rico. Oh. He's from Puerto Rico. Which is why. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, that's true. Number 16, number 823 overall from the Brewers is Zane Zerbrug. <laughs> that's good. Okay. Uh, 84 to the Padres, Hudson Head. That's funny. His name is Head. Now, this one's not funny at all. 1,167 overall to the Blue Jays, uh, Octavio Corona. That's just the guy's name. That's just someone's name. That's no good. Gotta skip skip through yep, here. Uh, 1035. This is a good one. I like Joey Lancelotti. Yeah, what are they going to call him? Lancelot. Yeah, Sir Lancelot. Golden Knight. Uh, Trent Tinglestad went 666 <laughs> overall. That's funny because it's got tingle in it. <laughs> I like Trent Tinglestad a lot. <laughs> uh, skip through some highlights because a lot of these aren't actually that funny. Phineas Del Bunta Smith is not funny. Uh... Not that funny. We should have made our own list. I'm sorry. That's okay. Their top name is Utah Jones. See, this is... Okay, this is what I didn't want to make fun of. I didn't want to make fun of people that just had, like, unique names that were given to them. No, you wanted to make fun of people like Sicknarf Loopstock. Yeah, whose names are, like, objectively funny and sound funny to say and read. Mm-hmm. Not like, oh, this guy's name's Utah. What an idiot. That's not funny. So I think that the number one overall picked in this draft was a man named Adley Retchman. Yeah. Uh, which I think is a funny name, but people got very used to it because the number one overall pick is always discussed a lot. And you kind of, you kind of, you know, let it fade into the back of your mind. Retchman. Ret- Adley. Adley. His middle name is Stan. <laughs> Adley Stan Retchman. 
His dad's name is Randy. Randy Rutschman. Randy Sten Rutschman. Randy Sten Rutschman. Uh, the Pirates' number one overall pick was a, a boy by the name of Quinn Priester, um, yeah. which I think is fun for uh, uh, spoonerizing. Print. Quinn. Print. Wait, no. What's Quinn. the thing where you? Because I was thinking he spoonerized. Yeah, Quinn pr- 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 Priest Quinster. Priest Quinster. What? Pre- That's not quite a spoonerization. I think a spoonerization would just be Prin uh, Queester. <laughs> We're going to have to agree to disagree. Either way, uh, <laughs> very funny. Yeah, we all uh, we all enjoy that. I also like Nick Lodolo. Is that the giant? I think Lodolo is kind of fun to say. No, I don't remember who Nick Lodolo went to. Okay. Giants got the most boringly named man in the draft, Hunter Bishop. Oh, just like and then the Pirates got Creek, uh, Quinn Priester, Priest Quinster. That's Priest Quinster. That's two, Bunter Hishup, Bunter Hishup. That's pretty good. That's two pieces on the chessboard. Baseball, Bunter Hishup. The priest and the bishop. Hey, listen. Uh, uh, this is the Kings of Baseball segment. This is going to be a controversial one. This is the Kings of Baseball segment. Every week we build our policy platform plank by plank in an effort to become the 2020 Kings of Baseball. It's going terrific so far. So far it's going terrific, but uh, uh, I I made a decision. And again, this was last week that I made this decision, but I'm going to stick by it uh, uh, because I, I, last Monday I attended uh, a baseball game uh, that was delayed a little bit by rain in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Um, but when it began at 7.30... Uh, the Arizona Diamondbacks hit uh, back-to-back-to-back home runs to start off the game, uh, and they didn't stop doing that until uh, both teams had combined for a total of 13 home runs, uh, and uh, and now I'm of the opinion that home runs are bad. I've had enough of them. I'm sick. Yeah. Sick of home runs. So I, I've also been reflecting on this over the past uh, two long tater tots weeks. Mm-hmm. And I feel for a long time I was uh, holding on uh, uh, to this idea that baseball continues to be fine and regular and just as fun as it ever was. Uh-huh. And I've decided that that's a stupid opinion to hold. <laughs> um, okay. It's apparently not as fun as it used to be. Um, and I'm just, you know, being uh, kind of contrarian or holding on to something um, when there, when there's better things to be had. I don't know, you know, I went to this collegiate baseball game, this collegiate summer league game, and there was uh there were a lot of home runs, but there was also a lot more action, singles and Lots whatnot. And I said, Oh yeah, this is kinda different. Like it did kinda happen it didn't happen gradually, but I don't know, I guess I just kinda forgotten that that is kinda usually how baseball looks. And it is a lot more boring to me when nobody ever gets on base. Yeah. It, it it remains to be seen how this newfound opinion will affect uh, the premise of our podcast, which is home runs. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wanna I wanna uh, take some consolation in the fact that we're focused on players that don't hit very many home runs. I think we take ultimate consolation in that fact, right? Because what is, I mean, what's the platonic tater tide? It's someone like Don Blassengame who's who's whose whose contribution to the game was not primarily defined by power. It's someone who hit a lot of singles and doubles and stole a lot of bases. The kind of player that's that's really ceasing to exist in this environment. Excellent point. My faith in our podcast has been restored. It's restored uh, to an upteenth degree. I wouldn't say that. I would say that it's like uh, if you had been out in the rain for a very long time uh, yeah. and you came inside and had a warm bowl of soup. That sounds terrific. That's how I feel right now. What kind of soup? Um, I don't know. Maybe a bowl of chili. Is that soup? Chili's good. Is that kind of soup? Sure. Controversial, I think, maybe. You know what kind of soup I love? Mm. Ramen. Yeah, you know, I don't. I I think that noodles are a little bit weird, generally, because they're, really? they're very wiggly. I love noodles. Uh, I had a bowl of ramen when I was in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, that that, that would and did knock my socks off. Wow. Um, yeah, it was delicious. Um, I had a, a bowl of vegan ramen in Portland, Maine. How was it? Good. Delicious. Yeah. Uh, and good for what ails you, and good for uh, uh, making us believe in our podcast premise again. 
Hey, uh, uh, I think they should move the mound back and deaden the ball both at once. Uh, are we in a place where we've acknowledged that the ball has been juiced? Yeah. Or we're still lying to ourselves about that. We're not lying to ourselves. Rob Manfred inexplicably lied about it, but everyone acknowledges this to be true aside from him, including Major League Baseball as part of their official study. What a miserable person. <laughs> it 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 it's really disappointing because <sighs> this like the degradation of the truth has found its way into baseball in a way that it simply doesn't need to completely be completely unnecessary. I like don't want to be a person that like takes pot shots at the commissioner. Cause I think those people tend to be annoying. Um, yeah. But with that being said, why, why lie about that? Like why feel then I, I literally don't understand. It feels like in that context, like Rob Hanford seems like a normal person for the most part, yeah. but it seems like just the Trumpism mm-hmm. has gotten to him. Right. Like, Trump will go up on the podium in life for no reason, right? And it seems like Rob Manfred is just doing that same thing, and I really don't understand it. Yeah, it's uh, it's baffling, um, and it makes me be mad at him when I wouldn't need to be otherwise. Like, it's just, it's it's all entirely pointless, um, and and it, it, you know, it would go a lot further to be like, we have a problem, we're going to try to fix a problem. But I think the other thing is that nobody wants to acknowledge that it's a problem, Um yeah because home runs are sexy yeah uh or like volume home runs i think they think are sexy uh that's no that's not true home runs individually are sexy well i mean the volumes of home runs is less sexy well less sexy when you're like paying attention but you know if if volume home runs weren't sexy then the home run derby wouldn't be a thing oh i see what you mean like people um no, I, there's diminishing returns on it. There's diminishing returns during the home run derby, certainly. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's, I think that that's that's indicative of, you know, the broader uh, 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 issue, which is that, you know, I sat down to, I went to a baseball game. I have really good seats at a baseball game, uh, and and I when I we left a little bit early because the game started a little bit late, so we had to you know be in bed for work tomorrow and what have you. Um, yeah, but. By the time we left, they'd already hit nine home runs. I think we left around the seventh, sixth or seventh, um, and there had already been nine home runs hit, and the the Diamondbacks had already set like a franchise record for home runs in a game. There was at one point the Diamondbacks had five hits and they were all home runs. Uh, uh, it's too, it's 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 a lot. It's it's weird. MLB has no incentive to do anything about this, really, and it's frustrating. Like they're, I mean, they're not really accountable to anyone. I think the their incentive is to increase to improve the quality of their product and increase turnout at baseball games. But how much turnout at baseball games is related to the quality of the product is a little tenuous. Yeah, and I, I I think over time you're going to see that relationship, but it's also really tied up in you know the increasing quality of tvs and increasing competition from you know games and movies and stuff um so it's it's kind of hard to see but you know eventually as baseball becomes less fun to watch people are going to spend less money to see it we have to do something about it uh but in the meantime it feels uh plain as the nose on my face that the three true outcomes problem is a real problem Mm -hmm. Uh, the three true outcomes of course being uh, a strikeout, a home run, or a walk, walk. Um, and and those three true outcomes being on the rise um, at the moment. Like I don't I don't know how to characterize this problem. Like I don't know exactly what it's a problem for. I mean, apart from like the fact that I I enjoy watching baseball a little bit less than I used to. Uh, There's less action in the game. Yeah. Uh, most people do not enjoy watching pitching as much as they enjoy watching hitting. Wish they would do something about it instead of instead of adding pitch clocks, which don't do anything. Pitch clocks is to increase the the pace of the game. This really isn't so much about pace. Like if there were more singles, it would it would lengthen 
the games overall, I don't know. I don't think it would do anything about pace particularly. It would slow it down because pitchers are slower when they're runners on base. Well, maybe the real thing is that pace, that they're looking at, a, at, at the problem and thinking that it's a pace problem, and actually it is an action problem. Maybe, maybe, it, yeah. maybe it's significant. I mean, certainly, if you have more action, the moments are more heightened. Yeah, and it's significant that, that those two things are separate and distinct from one another. Moreover, it's a problem that MLB doesn't seem to recognize that or has chosen to prioritize one over another. Yeah, but, you know, <clears throat> here's the thing. I don't know if there is a solution for this problem because it's not just the change in the baseball. A big part of it is uh, innovations in player development and the idea of um, utilizing this big uppercut s- swing, right? Um, that players have discovered that there's very little value in hitting ground balls um, line drives and fly balls have a lot more efficacy in, in bringing runs home and that pitchers are throwing faster and harder, um, increasing strikeouts. Like, you can't change that. You can change the ball and you can change the distance of the mound, but the players in the front offices have discovered different, more efficient ways to play the game that are going to, you know, outlast those kinds of changes. Yeah. I'm reading... Uh, ben Lindbergh and Travis Sachik's new book. It's all about this right I now. I meant to ask you if you were, had picked that book up yet. I had. Um, there seems to be some controversy over their treatment of Trevor Bauer. In that they're nice to him. Yeah. yeah. Have you got... I haven't finished the book yet. Certainly Trevor Bauer, I think, is like the main character of the book. It, it routinely returns to him. And it certainly it gives a different perspective on Trevor Bauer. Like, you know, everyone's the hero of their own story, and he is certainly a really interesting cat. Yeah, and I also think that probably for their purposes, they don't, I mean, I hate to say it, but they probably don't care about, like, his antics on Twitter. Um... I mean, I don't know. Again, I, I'll give you a more informed opinion on this after I finish the book, but, I mean, I do think it's, pertinent to note someone's a real a real jerk if they are one especially when you're positioning them as kind of a hero i agree with you uh so yeah i don't know let me know how the book is Uh, sure uh hey let's move on to our title of the week um 1965 brought about uh quite a few interesting tater tots but none more so to me uh at the time that we put our show notes together (laughs) than uh now, I have chosen to pronounce him in my head, uh, Don Blazingame. Do you have something that would... You pronounced it differently earlier, and I don't know how it's actually pronounced. I pronounced it incorrect earlier. I said Blazingame, right? That's how I read it in my head, but you're right. It's Blazingame. It's got to be Blazingame because his... Because that's where his, his name comes from. His nickname being Blazer. Blazer. Uh, now, in 1965, Don Blazingame hit only one home run, uh... Uh, that's certainly not his career high uh, <clears throat> but it, it's pretty close uh i think the career high is probably around eight if i had to make a guess it's been like a minute since i've looked at that too we put all these show notes together uh a, a whole darn week ago yeah yeah and usually we kind of we kind of mash them together in the last hour <laughs> and then i bought a desk oh. and it kind of threw a wrench in our entire plan I mean that that's all fine and good. I'm just uh, this is how come we can't remember anything that we had researched previously. Don Blazingame hit uh, 21 career uh, 21 home runs over his 12 year career, uh, so not a power hitter, um, but an exceptional bunter. And this is what I kind of wanted to key in on. This is this is what drew me to him. One of the best bunters of all time. The second best bunter of all time. Well, I I yes. think it kind of depends on your perspective. On your definition of good bunter. Good bunting. The second best bunt for hitter of all time anyway. Well, no, I mean even like he had the best I think this is a great definition of best. No, no, no. Because it is not it is not most successful bunt attempt. Well, so the the statistic is highest rate of hits. Yes. Yes, with n- per with attempt. no runners on base, meaning it it was evident that what he was trying to do was hit the ball, like get a hit, as opposed to advancing the runners and sacrificing himself. Yes. Um, now, what I mean is that, and I, I wish I could, I wish I had the statistic handy because this would make things a little bit clearer. Um, but he has the best. He has he is the best at that thing 
by percentage, and I think the second best by counting hits. Um, for what it's worth. Oh, I thought he was second best at percentage. No, he was best at percentage, like 88%, and the other guy had like 87%. This is really... Well, if he's best by percentage, then I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it right now into the say microphone. Say it on the record. Say it, speak Don it Blazingame is the best bunter in the history of Major League Baseball. And that's that's significant. It really is. Uh, uh, this is the kind of player that he was. He was a second baseman. Uh, he did have a speed that befitted his name. Um with a mm, still not a very sparkling career stolen base number uh, at 105 um but respectable um he was fast he he's good defender good foot speed good defender uh light hit uh, suffice it to say yeah um He's also good at not hitting into double plays because of that aforementioned foot speed. Yes, indeed. Uh, the fewest double plays ever. Per plate appearance. Of all time. Good use of statistics. What a hero. I mean, I think uh, I, I think he seems like a really interesting ball player. And in, in 1965, um, for the Washington Senators, yes. he hit one home run. Yes, indeed he did. Uh, it's difficult to talk about this because we don't have footage. We don't got footage of the home run, nor a lot of context. I don't even know how the Washington Senators did in 1965. That we can find Washington out. Washington Senators, 19. They finished ni- uh, 70 and 92. That's eighth, good for eighth in the American League. Fascinating. They were managed by Gil Hodges, who is... That's a little interesting, I guess. Do you want another top player by war? Yeah. Well, it, it was Pete Richard. <laughs> I was kind of hoping it was going to be Don Blazingame. <laughs> <laughs> God, could you imagine? Uh, what was this war in 1965? Uh, play value batting. 0.5. Half a game. 0.5. Not excellent. Not great. Uh, but good foot speed, good defense, and clearly had a mind for the game. Uh, uh, he, he, he finished his career from 1967 to 1969 in Japan with the Nunkai Hawks. Uh, yes. And then um, after he was Went done to after manage. He, after he was done playing, yeah, he he was became the third American to manage in the NPB. Yeah, he was a coach in the NPB for a while and then went ahead and managed there. Um, I think his I forget the order of it, but his kids were either born in America and lived there as kids or were born there and raised there as they kids. Speak, either way they speak, they speak Japanese. Japanese and I think that one of them makes a living speaking Japanese for the Colorado Rockies. As a as an interpreter. As a scout. Oh. In Japan. That's interesting. I think that's wonderful. Yeah. I'll, Here's another. Sorry. Yeah, no, ahead. you go. This is an unrelated thing about Don Blazing Game. Great. He, uh, out of high school, served two years in the military before signing with the Cardinals. Wow. Isn't that interesting? Usually you don't do that anymore, but it does remind me of a player that was drafted in this year 2019 uh, called Noah Song, uh-huh. um, because he went to the U.S. Military Academy of Army, I think. I think he went to Army, um, and he's committed to serving two years in the Army. Um, oh, you know, so, briefly I forgot yeah. what year we were talking about, and then it occurred to me that, did he fight in Vietnam? Blazing Game? Yeah. I don't think so. Did he go to Vietnam? Did, what did year he, was he drafted? 1955, Korea, I guess. <laughs> Are we going to go back to talking about the Korean War? I really don't want to talk about it. It's interesting that this keeps coming up. Yeah, this is why I wanted to get away from the 50s, but we're right back. <laughs> we're, right, we're right back in there. As it turns out, 1960- Look, I didn't see anything in Don Blazin's game's story about him being shipped off to the Korean War. You said he was drafted in 55. In Wic- he was drafted into baseball in 1955. He served in the military in 51 and 52. Well, that is certainly during the Korean War. <laughs> yeah. Um, Sounds scary to me. Yeah, I, I don't think that anybody should go to war. That's just how I feel. Yeah. I don't have strong feelings. Uh, in Japan, he was referred to exclusively as Don Blazer. Yeah, Blazer was imprinted on the back of his jersey. Yeah. I love it. 
He played for so he played for the Hawks in sixty for three years from sixty seven to sixty nine, and then he coached mm-hmm. for that team for the next eight seasons. He loved it. He must have loved Japan. Oh, sorry. He coached. This is confusing. He coached for several teams, I think, or he is he has coached and managed for different. Yeah, teams. Yeah, no, I just misread the thing. He coached for the Hawks uh, for eight years, and then in seventy eight, he moved over to coach for the Hiroshima Carp uh, and the Hanshin Tigers. Um, Bounced around a little oh. bit in Japan. His record as a manager, 108, Subpar. 180, 208, and 28, because ties are played in Japanese baseball. Isn't that a fun little difference? Uh, um, I hate I want to ask you a question. Please. What do you think is the reason to have an American, particularly an American of debatable baseball skill, like Don Blazingame, manage in Japan? So I think it's it's... I, I first of all I would say that it's I don't think that it's particularly fair to assume that he isn't or wasn't a good manager. No, I he he was probably a great manager. Often, as the 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 common knowledge goes, uh, bad players make better managers because they always had to struggle and they can empathize with the worst players. Right, and also obviously, like you what you're pointing out is that it's it's. It, it seems counterintuitive to hire someone who doesn't speak the language yeah. uh, to be your manager, so it must have been pretty good to make that worth it. You think he was, like, an exceptional coach and a really good manager? Like, he had to to get himself over this this pretty big hump of not speaking Japanese? Must have been, because I, fig- I, I also was thinking about this a little bit earlier, and, and I think you can... I think you can probably get by on a strategic mind more in other sports than you can as a baseball coach manager baseball manager is a lot about managing personalities you know because like as far as like there's not situationally you know but uh, there aren't you can't call plays. baseball manager doesn't have that many choices is your point like they're not like calling basketball players or even or you you know. know there's not there's not really an x's and o's to baseball uh, it seems to me to be like a lot about feel and a lot about communicating with your players yeah. uh, and understanding based on what they're giving you, um, uh, like what to do in a given situation. Um, yeah, and how to keep a, a happy and contented clubhouse, which right. seems so difficult if most of the players on your team only speak Japanese. So I, first of all, I would have to assume that he had an interpreter. Uh, oh yeah, of course. Obviously, um, I I <laughs> I wouldn't expect he's just yelling at the players entirely in a language they don't understand. That'd but... be sick though. That'd be even more impressive. <laughs> uh, yeah, I I yeah. I, I mean, I recognize your point. I I would have to say that probably he was an exceptional manager. That's a great point. I wonder. Um, you know. Um, I think that there is a movement, an entirely justified and very late movement in the major leagues to hire multilingual managers, mm. especially people who can speak both English and Spanish. Right. Um, and and there, you know, there there are Americans and Spanish-speaking players in Japan. I don't know if there were Spanish-speaking players in Japan at that time. Um, so there's you know there's some value to to having. A multicultural background. Certainly. Um, do you want to know some more fun facts about Don Blazingame? I absolutely do. I do. Uh, he is the... He has... Hmm. <laughs> the thing that I kind of enjoy about this guy uh, is how many records he has that are kind of difficult to word. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Don Blazingame uh, has collected his team's only hit in what otherwise would have been a no-hitter in the second most games in baseball history how does that how does that strike you wow it did take me a full three seconds after you said it to put all those components together in my head i'll read you exactly what wikipedia says sure five times and this is how the sentence begins five times and, and again, this is on Don Blazingame's Wikipedia page, and it reads, Five times, Cesar Tovar and Eddie Milner collected their team's only hit in a single game, comma, an MLB record. Blazingame is the runner-up, comma, with four. 
Yep. Which is phrased awkwardly even there. I don't know if there's a better way to possibly phrase it. No, me neither. Uh, It seems... eh. (laughs) Somehow it seems a very difficult idea to convey, but I understand it. I understand it, too. I certainly think that it is also rather meaningless. Totally. uh, A function of luck. I'm surprised it is not with someone like, you know, Omar Vizquel, someone who played 25 seasons. Um, But, you know, hats off to Don Blazingame. That's a very... That's a good thing to do for your hometown team because they're we're worried they were gonna get uh, no hit. Yeah, it seems like. No, of course they lost all those games. They were they <laughs> <laughs> gave up one hit. But... Yeah, and presumably they were not a home run. No, no absolutely not. Dubious. Uh, the other thing is that his father-in-law uh, is one of his teammates. Was he passed away? I think they're all dead now. He played on the same team as his father-in-law. Team as his, and what was his dad's name? Walker Cooper. Whose daughter, oh, yeah. his daughter Sarah Cooper, was um, uh, uh, Miss Missouri, 1957. That's kind of cool. What do you think the functions of Miss Missouri are? What do you mean functions? Like, what do they have to do? Uh, You know, like ribbon cuttings and stuff, I bet. You think so? Do you think Don uh, attended any of those events? Any ribbon cuttings? Yeah. Well, I don't know when they got married, um, but she was Miss Missouri in 1957. Uh, it doesn't say when they when they were married on his Wikipedia page. <laughs> Unfortunately. What a disaster! You better call the people at Wikipedia because that seems like an oversight to me. I'm going to have to call the people at Wikipedia. <laughs> or just search through the marriage records for, uh, what did you say, Min- Missouri? Hang on, I might have something here. No, I have, I have absolutely nothing. I, there's, a, there's, a, there's an obituary for Don Blazingame on a website called the Deadball Era. Oh, that's morbid. I like it. <laughs> yeah, this, the, the tagline for the website is where every player is safe at home (laughs) (laughs) is this a website that's just dedicated to baseball player obituaries it's like hey that's kind of cool i would maybe read a book of baseball player obituaries it literally so okay this is a it's a it's a homemade website if you like to look at it you would say oh this is a homemade website yeah uh and dedicated to deceased major (laughs) i need you to go to this website right now so, oh my yeah, God. this is the deadballera.com. In red, you're laughing. You're laughing. I'm laughing Oof. at the tagline, all caps in red, italicized and underlined, dedicated to deceased major league ball players. So, and I don't think you've done this website justice in describing it as looking homemade, Tim. <laughs> There's a big square picture of a home plate with bats behind it. Um, all uh the what do you call that pirate thing the the buck like skull and crossbones the okay just skull and then there's a baseball wearing a baseball cap with a <laughs> halo and it also has angel wings and then there are two distinct pieces of word art above this piece of art uh the first one says the dead ball era the second one says where every player is safe at home they're both in a big arc and this is all taking place above a cloud vista now behind this picture <laughs> Is a looping background of like a galaxy of a lot of stars. Oh, is it moving for you? No, 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 no. Oh, I just mean the t- it's like tiled. Oh. Um, yeah, I mean there are certainly gifs of spinning baseballs. If you scroll, yeah, I was gonna say if you scroll down the page. And then there are like a lot of uh, web pages that you can access from the home page. Uh, these are, and this is just a sampling, uh, a tribute to Thurman Munson, the twenty-seven Yankees. Yep. Uh, accidents, murders, sure. and suicides. This is categories of obituaries that they've collected. Yeah, but there's always this one. There's also this one um, that just says bad to the bone. Nice. <laughs> Where's that? Wait, I don't even see that. What is this? It only showed up on your page. Oh, it's way over here. What is this? Bad bo- and, and the URL for this is the deadballera.com slash badbone.html. Badbone. Van Lingle uh, The Headhunters, 
such as Don Drysdale. So this website is fully cheapskates, notorious, such as Cap Anson and the Black Sox. This is like a thorough and kind of neat website. Fully just like a, a, a record of all baseball players who have ever died. Which I've discovered something. Uh-huh. Every section of this website has a different background. So only the homepage is stars. I went to the contact me page and it's all sketches of mitts with baseballs in them. And Frank Russo's personal address is listed on this page as well. I'm going to tell you something. I did something I shouldn't have done and clicked on suicides. Oh, that's that's the saddest one. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. So it has a list of every baseball player who's ever committed suicide uh and it has the year that they did it and also how they did it yeah uh it's a pretty long list what's notable about this list to me is that there are certain names that have next to them a little flashing uh gif of the word new oh god that's the worst use of that flashing gif (laughs) I mean, no, no, they're kind of scattered, so it's obvious that he's just, like, learning about these. Oh, like, newly discovered obituaries, not newly dead. New to him. Okay, that's a little better. I guess. It's not great. Boy. Ah. I'm going to tell you some things I've discovered. Okay. He's in the process of building a list that includes minor league players. Fantastic. And... The the best so the the contact me page is all about he can't run this website without the help of people telling him which baseball players died. <laughs> and my favorite part is that this is in all caps and underlined. Any and all information regarding deceased major leaguers is welcomed. I'm sure that it is. That's his whole business. Yep, he would like a photo of a gravesite, a cause of death, or a copy of an obituary, an interesting tidbit, or a little known fact about a ball player. How far is Milltown, New Jersey, from my house? This is a good question. You're going to go visit our friend Frank. I. (laughs) (laughs) It's near New Brunswick. I don't know what that means. It's about an hour away from me. That's not that close. It's not that far either. No, it'd be a bit of a road trip. It's certainly doable in a morning. Ah. So you're going to go and just knock on Frank Russo's door. I say, I was just in the neighborhood. I wanted to know why you invented this morbid website. I bet you there's interviews with him or something. Or just read a lot of the words that he's written on this website already. He also wrote a book. Yeah, but the book doesn't appear to be about dead people. Yes, it does. Oh, sorry, not about their deaths. Well, part of it, Certainly baseball's about colorful people. characters, unusual lives, and strange demises. Is the, I didn't read to the end of that, of that subheading. Subheading. My mistake. Subtitle. This is fascinating. <clears throat> I, I need to go. When did this book come out? The book? I'm, look, I'm looking into it. It came out in 2014. In 2014, you wrote a book. It cost $45. To me, that's that's too much to pay for this book. It's far too you much. You can get it in paperback book. for 28 Great. I... <laughs> There's an... Or you can get it used from $5, it looks like. This is... that, that, that seems about right. I think that this... He has an entire page, and then yep. in that page, several subpages dedicated to the one time that a person was murdered by a baseball like in a game yeah wow that's the holy grail for for him video vault oh he was on like things this is that him being interviewed he was interviewed on, that's that's really on that's what you want to know you do not have to knock on his door yeah but i'm you gonna can just watch a video of him i am gonna do like a lot of he loves thurman munson so much wow uh huh all right uh uh, that's enough (laughs) yep Uh, it certainly is hey that's gonna do it this week for uh tater tots we'll be back next week with uh some more uh of our classic antics um 
And in the meantime, of course, you can always donate uh, to Baseball for All, which is an initiative that gets girls involved in youth baseball programs. It's very important. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter. That's Tater Tots Pod. Uh, you can like us on Facebook behind the Facebook URL slash Tater Tots Pod. And you can email us, of course, at any time. That's Tater Tots Pod at gmail.com. Uh, <clears throat> we're going to continue to fly by the seat of our pants, uh, I think. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We don't have a baseball player picked out for next we'll week. pick somebody out. It'll be fun. Uh, send us your favorite year in jazz, preferably not in the 50s, though. Or uh, send us your favorite snake fact, and we will yes. in some way relate that to a baseball player. <laughs> We should include a snake, at least one snake fact a week. That's only fair. I agree. Uh, <laughs> so dig up your snake facts. Dig up your favorite years in jazz. <laughs> I bet we're going to get some good snake facts. Uh, and we'll talk to you later. Okay. Good night. Bye. To be the biggest fish in the smallest pond On the middle of the island where I shall reside But keep playing out in the Texas League And meanwhile after too much And also from running too fast You'd run out of gas But that's not possible Possible.